Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here with usual suspect Anthony Slater, uh, also with friend, colleague, occasional guest, not frequently enough. We got Jovan Buha, Lakers beat writer on the pod. Jovan, what's up, brother? How's it going? I'm just here in a nice rainy day in San Antonio. Man, no, no one's here to... Go ahead, Slice. What you got? I was going to say well, this is this is a very uh, NBA beat writery. The way our backgrounds are, we ha- we're we. It looks like we're in like adjacent, uh, you know, hotel uh, with a hotel room background. But you know, we're in different cities. But it's just it's fun to me. Yep, yep, yep. If Marriott <laughs> wants to give us a little coin for the free pub on the pod, that's just fine. Uh, the, the place where sports writers go. Gentlemen, you can hear in my cadence here. I'm I'm starting to rush through this puppy because we got a lot to talk about this week. We got a lot going on in the association. And and Jovan, as you're sitting in San Antonio, the Spurs are the ones getting off easy here. We're not here to talk about the Spurs and their losing streak of 17, 18, 19. Not even the worst in the league. It's not even the league. I'm just saying I'm a little bummed. (laughs) Victor Wambanyama effect has not, you know, exactly panned out, but that's for another day. All right. This is one of the many times. When not only do I love Anthony Slater's company and him being on the pod, my goodness, Slater, it comes in handy when it comes to the team that you cover. We're going to be talking all things Warriors, all things Draymond Green, definitely getting into the Milwaukee Bucks and the the uh, the mystery ball gate. Oh, man, producer Dave, I screwed it up. I forget the nickname. We were Game going ball. For Game ball gate. That's what Dave DeFore wanted to call it. Uh, that Bucks game had everything, um, just everything. So I got stuff to say there. Uh, but we definitely want to talk Lakers as well. Jovan knows that team like the the back of his hand, and, and they've been doing some good things lately. So should be a fun pod. Um, we're going to start with news of the day. Slater, uh, the NBA, on the later side of Wednesday evening, announces it, their decision on Draymond Green, indefinite, which is such a an interesting way to go, in my opinion, when it comes to their ruling. Uh, you know, like for ominous, his right, it's ominous, but it's also. Well, I'll, I'll share my thoughts in a little bit. It's just it's a little bit of safe, if you will, and we'll get into why. But Yusuf Nurkic, you know, bears the brunt of Draymond's. You know, what are we calling it? Was it an open face slap Wait. or an open hand slap? Club. Yeah, it just know. gets clubbed on the, you know, like merry-go-round style spin that Draymond gives him out of nowhere, which was the weird part about it, right? I mean, it was just like it was a post up. There was no scuffle there was no like you know sometimes with these it's like wow they're kind of sure. battling on a rebound on one end and then you right. know kind of lingers over the other end like no not really it was just during a post I mean I guess that was part of Drake's point but right and I mean people listening are hardcore hoop fans for the most part I think so they know all the context we don't need to get into that but he you know five game suspension earlier in the year for the Rudy Gobert choking dragging uh, it's just been a, a brutal year when it comes to all things Draymond I wrote a column uh, last night about how I do think the Warriors might have reached their tipping point with this group. I don't know what that looks like in terms of where they go from here, but it, you know, it's just it's really, really bad when it comes to what they were trying to accomplish, which is to take their uh, their Hall of Fame trio and and have some fun Twilight years and maybe contend for a title. Um, the the funny part here, guys, I'm going to share something with you as we speak. This is perfect, and it was not by design. Next to my laptop that we're sitting here talking through, um, Slater, I have the commemorative Warriors uh, like patch that they gave out late last month when they celebrated on November 30th, their 11-30-23 day. It was going to be Steph, Clay, Draymond. It was all about 
you know, kind of celebrating what they've done. And they had this kind of calendar oddity that they found that honored all three of their jersey numbers. For the YouTube audience, you can see it here. It's got, you know, little cartoon versions of these three guys. That uh, was not that long ago, and the mood has certainly shifted. Um, Do you remember? So Draymond did a press conference that night, and they had like a mural behind the uh, press conference. Yep, I know what you're going to say here. Yep. In the in the mural, he was smiling, and as he was leaving the stage, he was like, "Oh, nice! You guys got one of me smiling." Not the typical, you know, which you just saw in the commemorative patch there, the roaring Draymond Green. Right, every time you see him. He literally growled. It was a funny, charming moment. He looked at the media and he goes, oh, you got me smiling. He goes, not the typical Draymond. And then he went, you know, yeah. And and we know like he's that's the side that that I like so much. That's the part where he does this. You know, he was kind of like the locker room post game in Phoenix, you know, and he agreed to do the press conference. And obviously there was a strategy behind the press conference that he did. He clearly wanted to explain his side of of, you know, the situation with Nurkic. But right. Uh, yeah, no, you're you're right. Uh, what? Where do you want me to go? Warriors future Thoughts first, or the, just Draymond? How long is he out? How long? How when I'd are we gonna? My guess in? would be into like early January. There's nine more games for the Warriors in December. Um, some of the buzz you were hearing yesterday was like you know eight, ten, twelve type games. They obviously went with the indefinitely. I think part of that is that what you said, Sam. You know, it's kind of like a safe. You know, we'll, we'll get to it later type scenario but also i just think they want to see some level of remorse from draymond which i just don't feel like they've felt uh in past experiences so i assume i mean i sam you you may even know better than me on this but i assume there'll be several like adam silver draymond green conversations over the next couple weeks um there'll be some type of stipulations but again i don't think it's going to be some crazy like you know you need to bring a 50-day anger management chip to my door or something like that i just think um it, it's probably going to end up being right, or, like I said, right around eight to twelve, and into January will be my guess speculation. And as long as he shows some level of like, I'll really try not to do it again, uh, then I think you'll see him again. Like this isn't going to go February, March, April. I don't right, Yovan. Before I throw it your way, just to quickly explain my safe comment, I think what I mean by safe is that you have a certain section of the public that hears indefinite and actually thinks there's a chance that he might be out for the year. And then the perception becomes, man, the NBA really came down hard on him. If I had to handicap this thing, I think, you know, when he comes back in somewhere from the 8 to 12 game range, you're then going to have that same section of the public say, wait, what the hell? I thought he was gone for months. Like, they they were soft on him. You know, they're still going to take criticism ultimately for the choice that was made. This indefinite route, it kind of postpones that criticism um, but I do not expect it to be a Ron Artest, you know, 73 game suspension type situation. Um, you had your hands full with all things Lakers, but but this story, Yovan, was something that, that was on everybody's desk. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on the latest uh, Draymond saga? Yeah, well, one of my first thoughts, and I know we're in some uncharted territory here, is if you're the Players Association, I feel like you, you kind of have to fight this pretty hard. Um and, and I don't know if they're going to or not, but I think it's a slippery slope with an indefinite suspension. Uh, and I know there is some precedent for that, but I just think, um, you know, if you're the player, like from the player side, I, I, I see why they would want to fight that. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, you got to quickly, Gardner. sorry to interject, you got to quickly contextualize Jovan. Yes, there is association uh, with, well, with executive yeah. director. Uh, here's guys, There's real some quick. history there. 
We got Andre Iguodala as the interim executive director of the Players Union, one of Draymond's closest friends. You got Sean Livingston is now, uh, I think roughly the title is director of player engagement, former warrior, former, you know, kind of old head for Draymond. Which, uh, a little bit more context for you, Sam. Warriors front office. He was at the Warrior Suns game on uh, Tuesday was night. He? He was he? Interesting. There. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you have that. Then you go to the league level, and we know this one. You got Joe Dumars, who Draymond has called a father figure as the head of discipline, uh, to put it in rough terms, of the NBA. Um, Adam Silver is going to need to lead the way on the league side on this one. But, yeah, you're talking about um, personal dynamics all over the place. Yeah, and to be clear, I, I get why the league suspended him indefinitely, and, and I agree with you that I, I think that was – the safe call and, and it kind of, you know, gives them some some leeway here over the next few weeks to figure this situation out. I, I just think from the players association side, no, I agree. If they can kind of give an indefinite suspension like that, I, I think there, there's some motivation to kind of push back against that, especially given Draymond's relationships with some of the principal figures. Uh, but we, we spoke with Darvin Ham, who's uh, a Saginaw uh, yeah, Michigan guy yeah, yeah. and has some history with, with Draymond and, um, you know, he was saying he was going to check in on Draymond and that in a lot of these situations, we kind of look at the, the the player or the antics or, you know, whatever's happening on the floor, but there is a human element to this. And and that clearly he's going through something, whether whether it's basketball related, whether it's in his personal life. Uh, so Darvin's like, I'm, I'm going to check in on him and just see how he's doing as a person. Like, forget Draymond the warrior, Draymond the basketball player. Like, how's Draymond the human being? So I, I thought that was an interesting kind of way to uh, approach the discussion because a lot of it is going to be on Draymond's history and how this affects the Warriors and their future and whatnot and all that stuff is very important uh, but clearly what, what you know he, he's always towed the line and, and often crossed it but not to this extent uh, and, and this frequently uh, as he has seemingly in 2023 so it seems like he's going through something uh, you know again be it uh, the warrior struggles or, or something in his personal life. So I, I thought Darvin kind of talking about Draymond the human, sure. uh, what was an interesting wrinkle to all this. All right, Slater, before you take that, I, I, that's a really good point that Jovan makes, and I want you to unpack it. Uh, and it's a little sensitive. I'm going to walk the line myself. Um, I There's part of me that if I'm being cynical, I, I've told this to other people this morning, like the whole angle of there's something going on with Draymond, you know, and whether – the league tries to to have him speak to a therapist or figure out what's going on. I'm not sure how I feel about the angle because there's part of me, again, knowing Draymond fairly well, that thinks he might just be looking him dead in the eye and said, y'all, this is, this is how I compete. This is it. Like Rudy Gobert, he doesn't have regrets over what happened there because he can't stand Rudy and Rudy put his hands on clay. I think in, in Draymond's mind, that's the proper way to handle that. I think on the Nurkic thing, I do actually, I know some people have accused him of lying. I, I don't know. I think he's, he can be out of control. I, you know, I, th I think if he meant to do it, he, he probably would have said it. And, and I don't like Slater, that point being, you're so close to it. You know, do you, do you feel that subplot or that narrative beneath the surface with the Warriors people about how, yeah, Draymond's going through this and that, and, and that might explain his behavior? Or is it just like, no, everybody. No, this I mean he's been he's been kind of his normal self. Uh, he's he's you know typically very you know informative and and good to deal with. Uh, you know, um, chatty, and I I kind of agree with what you're saying. Like the other night, I do I did feel a genuine 
feeling from him. You know, he was even asked about, hey, you're supposed to keep yourself out of these situations. Like, how do you, you know? And he's like, typically I'd agree, but tonight I was just trying to like sell a call and like accidentally hit the guy. This what right. he even said, I've been stopped trying to argue with refs i've been stopped i've stopped trying to get into it with players like I, i've been trying like i just act i was flopping basically well he tried to say it wasn't a flop it was a flail i mean a sell i think he called it but regardless right. of how you want to term it um he was like look i just like didn't even really mean to do that um and i did see I, I felt that it was that was genuine i know the world didn't i know he has certainly not earned uh you know the right for the world to believe him in some of these situations um but to your point yeah, I don't like. I, I don't know. I mean, this is, again, this is a hard subject to, to necessarily dig into because we're starting to talk personal life or this or that. But like, no, I don't really feel like uh, something deep is necessarily going on. Well, and there was some of that when the Jordan Pool punch happened, right? There was yeah. there was a sense that you know, like any of us, is regular life stuff. Like, uh, it might have been in a bad place that day for non basketball reasons. Uh, I haven't heard that this time around. Like you said, he's been great to deal with this year. Um, I think part of it is I would go back to, you know, his two year run of leg kicks, you know, that would go above the belt and that, that people begged him to stop doing. And he just wouldn't, he is histrionics, you know, kind of embodied, defined. That's how he plays the game. Uh, you go back to that Sacramento games later that we were at, you know, where, and I wrote about this in my column, the whole thing where it led to a little bit of a, a conflict on the bench where Draymond was frustrated. But if you go back to the beginning of it, what did it start with? Trey Lyles hits him with a pretty soft elbow. He did get him. And then Draymond just sells that call. Like, it's just histrionics. That's how the whole thing started. He he flopped, and he was mad at the refs, and then he's in their ear, and then it snowballs, and he's out of control. Uh, I do want to spin it forward because we got to get to some of this other stuff. Well, one of the things, I mean, th and this could be part of spinning it forward because I do think it matters, um, especially as the Warriors try to figure out what to do uh, yeah. you know, with Draymond Green. The I would say if I was them right now looking at the problem, it's like, you know, part of the the attempt this season is that is they want to go on a deep playoff run. We we could talk about if that's even realistic with what what's on the roster and, and how they're performing right now, but obviously that is the objective. Um there's just no possible way in a deep playoff run that Draymond isn't gonna get mixed up in some stuff and get a right. flagrant foul and some technicals or this or that. And the problem for them is, you know, say what you want about the Nurkic thing the other night. If that was just Trey Lyles, you know, name your random NBA player. Like, maybe they get one game. You know, they get ejected from the game. They get one game. People are like, well, that was weird. I mean, Draymond's getting indefinite suspensions. And, like, my point is a normal flagrant foul that you'd expect Draymond Green to pick up over the course of one or two playoff series now, like, might be like, you're gone for the playoffs. And that's a problem. Like, that to me, just what the league is, like, the crackdown that the league currently has at, on him right now, and and you could it's you, tough, you, yeah, yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, it feels like he's one he step from himself. Then maybe two steps from being out of the league. I mean, that's honestly how it feels. And then you and, and I wanted to mention this too. Then you consider the way that his colleagues, his associates, are choosing to frame this. So Nurkic sits up there and says, you know, I don't know what's going on with that guy. I hope he gets the help he needs. Um, you know, I was just happy he didn't choke me, man. That gives the league, you know, more kind of evidence that, oh, this is a problem in the eyes of his peers. Kevin Durant, my goodness, Slater, I assume you saw Kevin's perspective on the matter. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a guy who has sat down with him in recent years and done long, open podcasts and interviews, and they seem to have fixed their relationship. It was a little surreal for me to see Kevin 
you know, back into an outsider's mindset. Now he's obviously going to defend his teammate, you know, Nurkic as well, but his tone is the type of tone coming from a superstar that if you're the league office, again, it, it pushes you even farther down that path of we need to attempt to quote unquote fix Draymond. I don't think they're going to find it. They're going to find Draymond. That's who he is. You know, Rashid Wallace had a really interesting interview and I, I apologize for not crediting the pod that it was on, but Rashid talking about Draymond when he was a young fella being around the Pistons and, you know, had a, and I'm, you might know this later. I'm forgetting the relationship he had where he was friends with somebody in the front office, his family. Uh, you may have heard of him. His name is Joe. Joe. It was Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to connect this those is where, dots. Where it all intermixes yeah. here, right? Well, and as someone uh, made the great point yesterday too, I mean, my, the idea of, of a bad boy piston being the ultimate legislator in the NBA today is, is something to kind of wrap your head around. But yeah, Draymond Rashid's point was that Draymond is, is one of my young fellas that he heard, you know, us behind the scenes during those Pistons years. He heard the language, he heard the mentality, you know, this is where it came from. So that's where I'm going back. It, unless the NBA has just decided they don't want tough guys, bad guys who do cross the line. Uh, like that's who he is. And, and I don't think that's going to change. Uh, yeah. Agreed. Should we shift to like the, the Warriors? Spending it forward. Are they going to do a thing? I mean, I wrote about it. Tim Kawakami wrote about it. I think maybe even multiple times. Um, it feels like an inflection point again, bottom line, are the Warriors going to make any major changes in the next two months or six months? Because to me, as I wrote, and you know, I'm sure that they don't like hearing this. It's just how I feel. They look cooked. They look as if championships are the goal. They do not look like a team that is going to be a title contender. And they also, I mean, I had a line I tried to kind of have in there about it's tough to keep trudging forward when the, the coals underneath your feet are this hot point being if they had a, a calmer environment Slater I'm throwing it back at you if they had a calmer environment Draymond at 33 Clay at 34 Steph at 35 could win a lot of basketball games have a lot of fun always take pride in the four championships and continue to play together and maybe just maybe right off into the retirement sunset together I don't see that happening now because it's so messy it is incredibly messy. It's, uh, you know, it's every couple of weeks there's something like this. And I think it's born out of the fact that they are, yes, they're old, but they're young enough that they still see themselves as title contenders. And when reality doesn't meet their own perception, I think it's wildly uncomfortable. And that's why I just don't see how they're going to do this for the next four or five, six years, you know, uh, maybe four years, but, you know, and have it be fulfilling it does not seem like that is going to be possible yeah i mean it's it's it, and this is certainly a fair time to have that opinion now i do think the next six weeks two months is like vital in the question because of the tax bill joe lakeham's paying right now which is historic and it's currently for an 11th seat they're 10 and 13 they're pretty firmly in 11th right now uh they're not gonna have draymond for however long and they're gonna have to win they're gonna have to win to prove that like you know, at the deadline, stuff doesn't need to get like kind of rattled. Um, or, you know, into the offseason, you know, a lot of times you can't completely just, you know, uh, shake everything up at the deadline. But, you know, like they're only going to pay for this type of team and commit to this type of like win now approach if you actually win. And they're just not winning. And like, you know, that a lot of what is going on and, and, and the spiral that it feels like the Warriors are in right now is just the fact that like they just keep giving away games they should win. You know, blowing 24-point leads in Sacramento, blowing a 22-point lead in L.A., blowing, like, end of the game, 
awful decision making by their veterans by the way their young their young core right now is playing awesome and is about to get a chance to play more which i think is an intriguing part of this next month kaminga is probably going to start now pajemski's playing really well um but you know it's draymond fouling chet holmgren when he shouldn't late in the oklahoma city game it's the turnovers that steph and draymond had in sacramento uh it's it's clay thompson's deep slump and and just kind of like grumbling nature about it that that just seems to make it worse and worse on a daily basis it's andrew wiggins having the worst uh you know year of his career at the age of 28 uh it's it's kavon looney not looking really like himself that's four of their five starters are just like really struggling and it's all veterans it's all the it's four of the five guys that won them the nba title two years ago a year and a half ago as steve Kerr likes to say and, and why he's had a belief in them that they're this season haven't been fulfilling so to your point i I do think there's a way out of this for the Warriors in in the sense of like if they just win, they can keep like things will feel good about them and 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 Joe Lico will feel okay paying that bill and they'll feel fine about trading a first round pick, adding an asset to try to help this court. But if they're not winning, and particularly if Draymond Green's not even around to help them win because of this disciplinary stuff, why would you know it it wouldn't make logical sense to keep it together? So like that that the next month is just about you know, make your record needs to go from 10 and 13 to, you know, 18 and 18 or something, you know, something that feels more sustainable with Draymond out. So good luck with that. Yeah. Jovan, I'm going to have you finish this Warriors segment. Uh, answer this question for me is, is, is Lakers GM, Rob Palenka and, and LeBron, are they getting on the phone and saying, Draymond, you want, want to come to Tinseltown and, uh, and, and have a little, you know, redemption chapter here. That's been a rumor for a long time, mainly because of the relationship between Draymond and LeBron and the fact that they share an agent, in Ridge Paul, uh, I am for the record aggregators kidding, not hearing that at the moment, but it is natural for the mind to go there. Is there any chance people in your space uh, were kind of immediately uh, revisiting that subplot? Well, there's been, as you said, previous interest from the Lakers side with Draymond given the clutch connection. And I think if you look at the types of guys that have fit well next to LeBron and AD, uh, I think he, he checks a lot of the boxes and you know, the, the shooting would be the, the I think the, the big concern there, but with his passing and playmaking, isn't he Slater? Isn't it like a career miss? high three point percentage this year? Draymond, I mean, yeah, th- yeah. he had taken <laughs> he had four in LA. <laughs> Sorry, and, and how many continue. Games? Yeah, <laughs> and how many apologies? Games? Continue. I couldn't yes. help myself. Go ahead. The, there you go. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the, you know, longer term, we'll we'll see if that sustains. But um, I, I mean, I think the the tricky part is getting the salary to work like would the warriors have interest in taking back d'angelo russell uh or, oh, or would they have interest what, what in, like, <laughs> right like uh, or like i don't you think know, so. rui achimura gabe vincent like it, it's because draymond's what making around 25 27 range 25. 25 uh so yeah and the lakers can only take back uh upwards of about 4.9 extra million dollars uh, staying under that that second apron, so I mean, it, it would probably have to be a D'Angelo Russell trade, and I don't really see that making a lot of sense for the you Warriors. Have to be a three-teamer if, at that point. Hey man, Clay's not playing well. Throw throw Steph and D'Angelo I mean, in that backcourt. You know, uh, ha- having I, dealt with the whole situation, I think they'd prefer to turn that job over to like Moses Moody or Pajet. To be honest, All yeah. Right. So I, I think I think there'd be interest on the Lakers side. I just I, I think it, it's. You know, getting the the requisite value for Draymond, and then anytime you you're now looking at a three team trade, that gets a little bit more complicated. And what are, what are the Warriors sending out in that? What, what are the Lakers sending out to to get a third team involved? So 
I would say that the odds are low, but um, you know, we, we didn't get to talk to LeBron last night because he, he didn't play um, the second night of a back-to-back. So he's going to play Friday uh, here in San Antonio, and I'm going to be interested to see what he says about the Draymond situation given their unique history uh, and their close friendship. Uh, he, he's going to be one of the, the people who I think has a really interesting perspective. I agree. I agree. All right. we have uh, You know there's a lot happening in the association when it takes us, let's see, about 30 minutes to get to a story like this Milwaukee drama that is going on. Game ball gate, as we referred to it earlier. Guys, you know, I'm watching that. I, I want to do that thing where I don't know how locked in you guys were, but where we share where you were when the chaos started happening or how it crossed your desk, because it was one of those moments where pretty quickly everybody around the league was like, what in the hell is happening in Milwaukee? So the Bucks play the Pacers not too long after their clash in the in-season tournament. And one of my takeaways from last night that I think is so interesting is that that was not obviously by design schedule-wise, but you do have a dynamic that is going to be there in the future where a team like the Bucks has a bad game against the Pacers, gets bounced from the semifinal game, a little bit of bad blood in that game because Tyrese Halliburton celebrates late, does the damn time celebration, you know, mildly disrespectful, Pacers get their flowers. Pacers move on to the title game. About a week later, Bucks are playing the Pacers again. Um, obviously, Giannis. I found this on the web. The Pacers get their flowers. Wow. Siri, oh Siri, Siri wants to get in. I, Siri I wants to get in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. You might want to leave that in the pod. That was pretty good. All right. Um, they play again. And my God, the, the feelings and the emotions were clearly pretty raw. And, and having been in Vegas and seen the Bucks pacers game, as you guys know, a couple things happened that night. Uh, Chris Haynes of BR reported that Bobby Portis postgame had challenged, essentially, uh, first-year coach Adrian Griffin, some of the players on the team as well. It was just, in general, it was a pretty heated Bucks locker room. They, they were frustrated with the way they played, the way things were going. Uh, the word disorganized was used by Giannis a lot. Not great vibes around the Bucks. So in a way, the Pacers kind of represented this squad that had kind of come in and given them a bit of an identity crisis or at least confirmed, I think, a lot of the concerns that they had at that point. So if they're going to go lose to the Pacers again a week later, then the Bucks might be in full panic mode. So Giannis decides, I'm not letting that happen. He ends up scoring 64 points, franchise record, personal high, obviously. Um, more specifically, you, it's funny because in the in-season tournament, guys, you had all this stuff where teams were breaking all the unwritten rules of basketball in order to you know, get point differential advantages, things of that nature. Well, you don't have the IST excuse anymore, but here comes the Bucks and Adrian Griffin and Giannis kind of you know, pouring it on the Pacers late. Now, I know the lead got cut to 10 you know, with like a minute and a half left, but Giannis was out for the night, and then he was back, and then he's dunking on their heads. Sad. He, yes, sir. he also remember he got thrown down in the middle of the game by I believe I know was, I can't even get to everything that yeah, happened. Neesmith, he got thrown yeah. down by Naismith, who's kind of their enforcer. Neesmith. He was that way in Vegas too. That didn't go over well. Bobby Portis ends up getting ejected um, because he's chirping. I think with Naismith, you also had man Giannis was on one last night. I forget what quarter this was, but Giannis. So Tyrese hits a bucket and he's flexing a little bit to the crowd and he's showing a little bit of that kind of that little swag that he has that they didn't really enjoy in Vegas. And Giannis gives him a good old Pistons slash Draymond style bump when he comes back at him and Tyrese hits the deck. You know, this was real chippy basketball. Now, post game, 
again, apologies for everybody who saw this. I just got to give the context. Post game, Giannis is clearly excited about getting the game ball. Now he says it was for Dame. I like Giannis a lot. I'll be honest with you, I don't totally buy it. I, you know, I think the ball was for him. Uh, he, although he does say that he was offering to give it to Dame because Dame became the fifth most. Uh, he was number five on the list of all time three pointers. Again, a lot happened at that game. So nope. the game ball, yeah, exactly. But but I mean, guys, Giannis before you know it, post game is is running in a full sprint toward the Pacers locker room, chasing the game ball that he believed had been taken by the Pacers. Um, there was actually, as Pacers coach Rick Carlisle called it, a fracas uh, in the hallway with players getting into it a little bit. We don't know the status of Pacers GM Chad Buchanan, who apparently took an elbow from a Pacers, I'm from a Bucks player. Um, here's the crazy thing, and admittedly, full transparency, I have talked with our Bucks beat writer Eric Name this morning about it. And shout out Eric because he had one of them nights where you got to work pretty damn hard. Good job, Eric. But I think this whole thing might have been a massive misunderstanding from Giannis. The tape clearly shows post game that a Bucks security official gets the game ball. He then hands the ball to a Bucks equipment manager who heads toward the back. Um, there's still more to figure out here in terms of the mystery, but Giannis, by the way, he's just not buying it. He gets up on the podium and literally says that even though he has the game ball, he's not sure it's actually the game ball, that he would know what it feels like. He played 35 minutes. I don't, I'm, I'm uh, generally speaking, Giannis is pretty easy to, to side with most nights. This one, you know, I think he might be missing the mark and he might have caused a hell of a, a lot of chaos uh, yes, unnecessarily. Yes. But how do you guys see it? Yeah, I just I think it's it's full, it's fun because it creates a little Buck Pacers bad blood, and sure. the Pacers are on the rise. The Bucks are obviously one of the teams in the East, and like I don't know, I think the league needs more just like you know good matchups with with intrigue and build up, and you know I'm more interested in the next Bucks Pacers matchup because of this, because of the end season tournament and all the context you just laid out. So. I mean, it was weird. Well, I didn't, Slater. I got to jump back in. I didn't even lay out all the damn context that, that I needed to because I left out Yovan. I bet you could help me here. Give me the young man's name who scored the point for the Pacers. I'm trying to pull Oscar it up. Oscar Shibwe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He gets his first point. And, and this, this is. Pacers are key, yeah. This is pretty, you know, again, you can't have a lie detector in this job. I tell people that all the time. But if I'm not going to believe Giannis about the Dame thing, I don't think I believe the Pacers when it comes to the idea that now we're just trying to get Oscar that game ball for his one point. Now, I know that typically would be a thing, but, you know, in today's segment of one of these things is not like the other Oscar's free throw compared to Giannis Antetokounmpo setting a franchise record in scoring or Dame being number five in threes. It felt like the Pacers essentially were like, you know what, if you're going to bump Tyrese, if you're going to cause problems, if you're going to act this way, we're going to piss you off by, by, you know, doing something with the game ball, even though they might not have done anything. So I don't know. There's, there's, you know, I need clarity here. This is nuts. Well, this was happening uh, last night during post game, the, the Lakers Spurs game started at the same time as Bucks Pacers. So like in real time, we're uh, like, you know, interviewing Darvin and, and players post game and then uh, I'm seeing all these tweets and like trying to keep up with everything and it, it was it's pretty wild it felt like every few minutes there was like a new update on the situation we didn't even get into like I, I thought the, the funniest part of the night was the Nassis having to be held back 
when, when Giannis was thrown down by like kind of holding you know, himself back, right? It was like holding a, himself back too. Uh, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm coming, I was, swear, was, but I'm not really. Hold my elbow, hold my elbow. <laughs> was, yeah. So that 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 was like the the funniest part of the night. But no, I mean, I I think it's it's good for basketball. Um, you know, obviously it, it, you want to keep it w- within certain lines, and if people are getting injured by elbows, post like you know, non players are getting injured by. Uh, post game elbows like that that's crossing the line but uh, I, I think it's fun I, I think you know this is now becoming something of a rivalry and uh, in today's game just because of the roster turnover and really the personnel turnover you know coaches year over year uh, front offices players like you don't have those same rivalries that we had in the 80s 90s 2000s where um, you know, teams would play each other in the playoffs and then they play each other four times in the regular season. And it was like, you just had this history build up and, you know, those things still happen now. It's just with the roster turnover, uh, it's no longer the same. So for, for me, I'm all for, uh, any types of rivalries and, and ejections and altercations and all that stuff. I, I think it's fun. And, um, I know the league doesn't always love that stuff, but I think it just adds, uh, uh you know, a, wrinkle to this so for me I, I was for it I, I thought both sides were being petty and, and both sides you know kind of had their the reasoning for it but of course you know, Giannis deserves the game ball I also think um, I don't know exactly the the custom in, the, in this situation but like it, you know, it's the home team in my opinion should also get the, the preferential treatment there where um, I get it like it's, it's a rookie first point uh, he deserves a game ball but he should have probably gotten the secondary game ball and then Giannis gets the primary one. So post-game beer, I think that's what you give that young fella <laughs> on a night like that. I, it was crazy. Uh, I'll 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 keep it moving with this. But like, did you guys actually see that video of when Giannis comes back out and Lloyd Pierce is playing Peacemaker now a Pacers assistant coach? You got Chris Middleton out there. I forget who else was there, but um, uh, Lillard was there. He was like kind of laughing. Dame was there and well, Halliburton. And Halliburton. Halliburton. Yeah. The, so what I wanted to highlight was man Tyrese. This is this is interesting because it's like okay, clearly from Giannis, and Giannis probably isn't alone here. Clearly, there's some people in the league who maybe didn't enjoy all the hype and spotlight and circumstance that came with the Tyrese Halliburton show in Vegas. Because my God, like Giannis decided to big brother him in a pretty, pretty condescending way. If we're being honest, he comes over to him and is putting his finger in his chest, saying, "Get me the game ball." He's yelling. At he and Lloyd. This was a different side of Giannis. I kind of thought it was hilarious because, listen, when when it's your building, when it's you're in Milwaukee, this is a place where you won a championship. This is a place where you were you became an absolute legend. Um, obviously, his whole energy was, "You are not coming into my house on a night when I break a franchise record in scoring and 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 being out here flexing with our fans, taking our game ball." Um, so yeah, I, it, it was good theater. It was good stuff, and I think in terms of substance it might matter for the Bucks because they have had a hard time getting Giannis and Dame to really click to hear Dame talk post game. He had a great line about how somebody asked about the relationship dynamics. And he told a story about how, when he's growing up in Oakland, he goes, you know, I had a lot of times with my cousins or different people where you'd be on the school bus and something goes down. You always know like who had your back and who didn't. And that brings you, uh, closer together as humans. And he was basically talking about, I think, Giannis and the fact that, you know, um, you know, again, you can question whether or not he was telling the truth about the game ball, but there was some of this was Giannis in defensive Dame. I think that was some of the energy towards Tyrese. Um, so we'll see if that helps them. 
All right, Jovan, we uh, we have waited. We were going to have you on to talk all things Lakers, and then they just got bumped off the stage. But we got to talk about this Lakers team that they used to traffic in drama and controversy, and they still have stuff every once in a while. But for the most part, um, it has been, okay, we have our team. We re-upped our team in the summer. We're going to try to compete, have our culture, do our thing. They go out. They they win the in-season tournament. It was an absolute joy to watch LeBron at almost 39 years old do his thing. I was, you know, one of the many who voted for him for uh, IST MVP. I thought he was deserving. Uh, you know, what is the state of that Lakers team right now? Yeah, well, you, you mentioned drama. I mean, there was some drama last night where they entered the fourth quarter with an 18-point lead. Uh, no LeBron. Uh, they're playing the Spurs, who have lost 17 games in a row uh, at that point, and they almost blow it. San Antonio ends up uh, you know, getting within a couple points late. And Victor, it was the Victor Wemanyama show. And you mentioned him yep. earlier in the pod. Like, he was he good. had 30 points, 13 rebounds, six blocks last night. Um, had, had an insane sequence where uh, he, he kind of dropped steps on 80, dunks it emphatically with his left hand. Next possession, Max Christie takes a shot from a good like six to eight feet away from Victor and Victor just reaches his arm up and blocks it at the apex uh, of its arc and then that triggers a San Antonio fast break that leads to a Victor alley-oop so it was just like a, a three play you know, consecutive sequence of this is what this dude can do uh, against uh, as you just said they're a pretty good team that, that's been playing really well so I think for the Lakers um, they've really discovered, I mean, first off, they've gotten healthy. I think that's been the biggest thing. Uh, they, they, you know, Jared Vanderbilt missed the first 20-plus games of the season. Uh, Rui Hachimura has been in and out of the lineup. Uh, Torian Prince has been out for a little bit. Gabe Vincent hasn't played uh, since missing the first or playing in the first four games. So they haven't had their full rotation. And, and this has been a group that was kind of constructed in a way where it's like we, we can play different styles depending on our opponent. We can go big. We can go small. We can go fast. Uh, and they're really kind of geared on having some of these perimeter defenders. So for them not having Vanderbilt in particular, uh, I think was it was a big absence for them. Uh, but since then, like you, you just see, I mean, they, they won the in-season tournament. Uh, didn't have the, the toughest slate, if you want to be uh, a bit of a, a critic. Like you look at playing New Orleans and Indiana in Las Vegas, it's not the same as playing uh, I mean, they did beat Phoenix on the way, but it's not the same as playing like Denver and Boston or, or Denver and Milwaukee, uh, sure. you know, to, to win it all. But you, you play who's in front of you. And I think really their, their defense, particularly on the perimeter uh, and, and their size and their length, like you saw it in that Indiana game, they had 86 points in the paint. And, and it, it, a big part of that was Anthony Davis, but it wasn't just him. It's just this is a group that often has three guys at least six foot nine or bigger on the floor and, and just that level of size, that physicality uh, and that toughness and defense that they play with, like that's just hard to match up with. So um, I, I think right now, you know, with the exception of Denver and Boston, like they have to be in that conversation for like third best team in the league. And that was not something I was thinking as, as recently as a couple weeks ago, but the level of defense that they played, the level LeBron and AD have been at, um, I've been very impressed by that. That's an interesting debate, and I, I'm pulling up the standings to see what I think. Um, I mean, for standings one, wise, they're, they're not third, but no, no, I, I get your point though, and I think yeah. to you know to frame it a little bit differently, it's going to be very interesting to see. Uh, let's see how far out is that. They have got 
uh, a little stretch coming up here where I just lost it on my screen. Apologies. Um, we got Minnesota on December 21st at Minnesota at OKC on the 23rd and then Christmas day against Boston. That three game stretch is going to be very telling because OKC is crazy as this sounds. I mean, they're in that second tier of teams right now. I mean, they're 15 and seven. Yeah. So um, the Lakers and they're Min- real I put Minnesota in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So, the offense, of course, with the Lakers is is the thing to always watch. Uh, comes and goes. You know, the Cam Reddish revelation has been something nobody saw coming. You know, not only helps them defensively and gives them a, a guy on the wing that's playing really good defense, but Austin Reeves coming off the bench has been good. Um, you know, it seems like their spirit is good, man. And I know I sound like the the fans get tired of, of all the constant LeBron praise but i just can't in vegas yovan as far as lebron observations it just absolutely blows my mind it's not just the way he's playing it's just the way he's carrying himself and it's the the way that really slater and you weigh in here like it i i often think about lebron in the context of the warriors where it's like aging gracefully you know playing at a pretty high level and steph is playing at a really high level but you know, not able to keep the drama to a minimum around him. Um, LeBron has had his time. It has not been that long. Yeah, I was going to say Russell Westbrook it, it's era flip flops. Like yeah. almost every year, it flip flops. No doubt. So you know, I mean, I guess maybe I got recency bias, but right now, um, to just sit back at a Lakers game and go like, you know what, I'm not going to focus on anything but the basketball. This dude is incredible to watch. Kareem never did this. Michael never did this. Is you far, you talk about you know, late in career greats, nobody has ever done this. No, I mean, like, it's it's the energy level and the conditioning, right? You know, at his age, uh, he was he was overpowering like Zion, basically, in a, in a Pelicans game and uh, in a... Running pace, past him, too. In a pace, yeah, in a Pacers game that, what are the Pacers known for right now? Just, like, zipping up and down the court and, and like, outrunning opponents, basically, outscoring them. Like not his power, but also his conditioning was like on display again. So to me, it's just uh, it's just a testament to every minute he spends off the court to you know prepare himself for for on the court. And you know, and that's a that's a Steph story. You're talking about Steph. That's why he is aged the way he has. It's uh, Durant. The way Durant works, really, particularly on his game, uh, is aging the way he has. And like LeBron is obviously the pinnacle of that. But we are entering an age, I think, where where if your, if you treat your body right and if you spend the type of money that LeBron has publicly said he spends to, uh, you know, keep his body the way it does. Which, by the way, is like a drop in the bucket compared to what the man has earned. That always cracks me up about that 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 kind of storyline. And I forget the exact number, but yeah. every time I've seen a number, it's like, okay, that's nothing to that man. Of course no, he for sure. Spend. And, I mean, it makes him more, right, how much more money is he making because of the way he has spent money on his body you know, into the future. But, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 incredible. I mean, it, it, uh, it, go ahead. Well, no, I just, Jovan asked an interesting question. I'm curious of your opinion um, in terms of the Lakers ceiling and what you're seeing out of them and how real it might be. Do you buy them as a potentially top three team in the league? And, and really by proxy, I guess, uh, a title contender as currently constructed, or how do you see them? Me? Yes. Uh, Oh yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I just I concerned myself with the Denver matchup. Like they were the second best team in the West last year, and then they got swept uh, by a team that I still think they. But have it was a good sweep, <laughs> great sweep. Uh, it was competitive. I, 
Slater. Yes, I'd ask Yovon because, you know, they lost him on opening night, and it just seems like that is just a bad matchup for them. And that team is not out of their way. So that that would be my – I could see – I could get the argument that Yovon was making. Like, sure. Like, it's a clumped league right now. I think we'd all agree. Like, I could hear the argument for, like, seven teams for that third spot. The Lakers are certainly one of them. But are they better than the Nuggets? Can they beat the Nuggets in the playoffs? I'm skeptical. Yeah, for, for me, it comes down to, well, so I agree with you on the Nuggets. I do think that a healthy version of, of this group with what we, because like, again, you know, Sam mentioned it, like no one saw this Cam Reddish thing coming. Like I was a skeptic of it. I was on record saying I was not a fan of the signing. Uh, I thought they were kind of wasting a couple roster spots with Cam and with Jackson Hayes. And uh, Jackson's been okay in limited minutes, isn't really a, a big part of the rotation, but Cam has emerged as a starter, and he's been shooting the ball better. He's been playing a really good defense. Uh, before getting injured for a few games in November, he was leading the league in steals in the month and uh, just has become this kind of, uh, it's almost like he's Jose Alvarado or, or TJ McConnell, but at six foot eight. And he just has these steals where like he pretends he's trotting back on defense, and then all of a sudden you throw an inbounds pass, and he's like a cat just popping out of nowhere stealing the ball and he had a couple of those he had a couple of those last night against san antonio it's just like like people still aren't really taking cam reddish seriously i think on on you know scouting reports but um he's making open threes the lakers have simplified his role it's the first time where he's not trying to iso guys and take them off the dribble and and take these pull-up mid-range jumpers that he kind of did in atlanta and new york and portland and all of a sudden it's like Cam, you are a 3 and D player. Your job is defend the best perimeter scorer and take open threes. And that's it. You're not doing anything else. You know, Maybe you'll, you'll get a transition bucket. Uh, so he's played really well. Max Christie has also played really well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, held Donovan Mitchell to 1-7 shooting. Had some big crunch time defensive possessions against him uh, in a win over Cleveland. So all of a sudden, I, I think that the Lakers have the, this perimeter length and defense that we weren't really anticipating. We weren't sure what to expect out of some of these guys. Uh, but that said, they have a Jokic problem. And the fact that Anthony Davis, uh, up to this point, over the last couple of years, has not really been able to uh, you know, find a way to slow down Jokic, I think as long as that problem exists, you got to give Denver the clear edge in that series. Uh, and I don't really know how they solve that. Because if Anthony Davis can't guard Nikola Jokic, I don't know who can. Like, Man, he can't even solve a, a... this unsolvable problem. Out here in Sacramento, Jovan, you know, Sabonis is often I mean, Sabonis, called yeah. no, Jokic Sabonis, Light. Sabonis he, can't even, he can't even solve Jokic Light, let alone Jokic yeah, himself. Yeah, I think that, no, that, that's, and that's a fair, <laughs> that's fair point. I was having a good morning. It's <laughs> <laughs> the coffee, so baby. For, it's the coffee. Drugs. For Lakers, though, my thing is just like LeBron and AD in a series, we've seen it now, and I think you saw it during last year's playoff run. Like when those guys, like they, they're not going to take every game seriously in the regular season because AD has dealt with the injury stuff uh, for a, a near 31 year old. He, he's pretty old in terms of just like physical wear and tear. LeBron's about to be 39. And I, I think getting those guys to be locked in over an 82 game season, you're not going to really see it. And I think that's why you, you saw like they've struggled in some of the regular season games, but give them the in season tournament and, and give them uh, you know something to be motivated about. And they will go seven and zero. You have an average margin of victory of nineteen plus. So I, I think that team. You know, are they going to be like the three seed? Probably not. I could see them being like a four, five, six seed. But as a four, five, six seed, 
you get them in a seven game series. And I just think like what team can match up talent wise with LeBron and AD in terms of star power, like in most series, they're going to have at least two of the three best players, if not the the, the two very best. So that's where I just think like, give me a healthy LeBron and AD. And I think that team can win just about any seven game series with the exception of probably Denver and, and maybe Boston. Uh, but so that's that's why right now I look at them as as a, you know the likely third best team to to win it all. But um, a lot of it comes down to health. You know, do they make a move at the deadline, and can they get some better shooting? Because the, well, the shooting has been a really big issue. Let's go there real quick. I know we're going to get out of here, Slater. If you got to jump, let me know. Uh, I do want to get your thoughts, Yovan, on the trade deadline because it's funny you talk about Cam Reddish. You know, Demar Derozan's name has been attached to the Lakers for quite some time. Um, that's a guy that, it, you know, I'm curious your thoughts on, because if, if a guy like DeMar, excuse me, if a guy like DeMar came to town, that obviously impacts a guy like Cam Reddish. Um, and so they've got a good thing going with Cam. I know that seems like a weird thing to put those two guys in the same sentence. DeMar is, is a, is a future hall of famer, but, um, that name, you got Alex Caruso, which of course comes with a whole crazy subplot of, they probably should have just paid him the first time around. Um, or whatever names might be coming your way. What is not? You don't have to spill your whole notebook at this point, trade deadline wise. But but what are your thoughts on some of those possibilities? Yeah, I mean, as I've reported, the Lakers have interest in uh, you know the three Bulls uh, guys that appear to be available in Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, and Alex Caruso. Their preference would be DeRozan and or Caruso. I think they're going to approach it with some patience and hope that the Levine situation gets solved first, and then uh, you know maybe they can swoop in there and, and try and get the Rose in uh, and or Caruso. But I, I think both guys w- would bring you know much needed skill sets to this roster. I think that the Lakers have also mm-hmm. been playing much better, uh, you know, particularly since the Phoenix game and the quarterfinals of the in season tournament. Uh, but that kind of third reliable offensive option and, and a guy who would be you know, second offensive option on nights that LeBron or AD is out hasn't really been there uh, consistently. So I, I think you know slotting Austin as is probably more of the the third option on those nights, fourth option uh, on most other nights. That's probably a better slotting uh, of you know his skill set and his strengths and what the Lakers need. So I think DeRozan being that third guy um, offensively what would be a really good fit. Now his shooting is a concern and. Um, yeah, I just mentioned the three-point shooting, and like that, that's not one of it. He's having a, a decent shooting year, but it's not one of his strengths. And then, of course, you know, just having so many ball handlers, like the, there is only one ball, and uh, we, we know LeBron is going to have it in crunch time. We know they're going to run the LeBron AD pick and roll. Uh, so what does that do for DeMar? How does he accept uh, kind of being lower in the pecking order than he's accustomed to? Uh, Caruso, I think, is a perfect fit. Like I, I really think any contender or just playoff team could use a guy like Alex Caruso. He's kind of, uh, you know, become that ideal guard to put next to star wings who have the ball where, you know, he can, he can spot up, he can get out in transition. He can do some secondary playmaking and ball handling. Would, would they have like a he doesn't parade? need the ball. Would they have a parade down, down in LA Live, which by the way, I'm at LA Live right now. So I can just envision a parade for Alex Caruso on, upon his return. Well, I, I think a Caruso Reeves backcourt would, would break NBA Twitter. Uh, it, it would just like that. <laughs> that would be the the the, 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 the two most uh, you know hyped white guys. Uh, the same backcourt would be uh, would be something for social media. But uh, did you catch yeah, as I mean, a quick I, aside, Yoma? Did you catch in Vegas when Tyrese Halliburton was asked about his relationship with Austin, 
and he uh he gets you know said all kinds of nice things about him and then he's like yeah you know he he gets a lot of attention in the media for some reason <laughs> it was like no, I, I, didn't, I didn't see that yeah, no. for some reason yes <laughs> we got to get off that uh, hype and white dudes thing yeah present well, company I, I, uh excluded <laughs> but I, I think the Lakers are, are going to make a move. I, I think it's just going to be something that happens closer to the deadline that they're going to evaluate over the next four to six weeks in terms of just what guys fit, what guys don't. Um, I thought Darvin Ham had uh, pretty damning comments last night uh, in his post game that kind of flew under the radar where he was like, we got to add some common sense to our talent and um, I don't know if that was in regard to a specific player, just the, the fourth quarter meltdown that they had. But um, yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting, like Darwin usually is pretty, he'll take the optimistic route and he'll be, even if they almost blow a game, he'll be, oh, you know, we won the game. It's hard to win games. And like, he'll always take the, the glass half full approach. But last night he was kind of going in on them and going at like the decision-making and, and the common sense stuff. And the guy who was handling the ball for a lot of that fourth quarter was D'Angelo Russell. And he's someone who hasn't been closing games recently for them. Uh, his role has been slightly reduced offensively. And he's the primary guy that they would have to trade uh, really for any sizable move. So I, I do wonder, uh, that's kind of interesting subplot here of just like what happens with D'Lo. He kind of is the guy that has to be traded if you just look at their contracts. Um, and, and really any move that they make, if it is the Rosen, uh, Caruso, they, they can... You know, trade other guys just because he's making less money. But like any notable move to their starting lineup would almost have to require D'Angelo going out. Uh, so that to me is something to, to watch for over the next four to six weeks. I'm, uh, last thought there, I've been told that the Bulls' interest would be in Reeves, but I just, are we safe saying that he's not going anywhere? It's not happening. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. We didn't get to the banner uh, debate, which I'll be honest, is only mildly interesting to me. They're going to hang a banner. I get it. The, I, you know, I'm, I am curious to learn more about the process and, and how that went down. But the, the Lakers with their uh, 17 trophies and banners and chips uh, are going to also have the IST banner. Although I like the way they, they're going to do it where it's one banner. And if you win it again, you just add a year. You don't need a bunch of in-season tournament banners up there. Slater, you got to bounce. Uh, you got a, a Warriors team to cover with fires all over the place. I believe we're getting a Mike Dunleavy press conference and, well, you know, a little scrum, whatever you want to call it, to talk about Okay. This. I look forward I to seeing you. I do need to get Yeah. You do indeed. All right. Thanks, guys. Jovan, great to have you on. Appreciate you, man. Thank you to the listeners. As always, we will talk to you next week.